This episode and every episode is sponsored by my company, JDAQA Software Testing. We're your one-stop shop for manual, automated, performance, and security testing. Check us out at JDAQA.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. This is The First Customer, hosted by Jay Agner. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the First Customer Podcast. My name is Jay Agner. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Matt Wampler from Clear Cogs. Uh, they help restaurants save money by reducing waste and avoiding run- food runouts. Uh, that was a lot. Matt, hello, my friend. How are you? Jay, thanks for having me. So we were catching up beforehand. I feel like we could be best friends. Uh, we have a lot of similarities. Um, so tell me a little bit about where you came from. I mean, we've got a pretty cool story. I love uh, Clear Cog's kind of mission, but but where did you come from originally? I saw Iowa or something as a school. Were you, were you from here originally or what? No, not at all. I'm uh, born out in the Midwest, born in Illinois, went to school out in Iowa, and somehow I ended up out here on the East Coast. Okay. Um, so you, uh, I know you studied a few different things right along the way. Like it wasn't a straight shot. Was it marketing or something in Iowa first? Yeah, I was a marketing major in college and wasn't a particularly good student. I think I did, I had a 1.98 one semester. Okay. Not, not my strongest suit. Uh, went right into restaurants. So the majority of my career was in owning and operating restaurants. Took over my first one at 21. It was a turnaround where the guy basically needed out of the lease and was looking for a patsy and hey i 21 i don't have any assets i'm willing to roll the dice and so that, that's how i got started but yeah ultimately i i did uh finance at duke and then um ended up doing product innovation before eventually finding tech and programming wow um jimmy johns right yeah i just met another one of our one of our clients is a jimmy johns franchisee and he was he had the shirt on during our call i'm like man you're living the brand dude he's like yeah he's, he's making a tech product but he's like yeah he's like i, I actually stopped by the restaurant and he's like and people would look at me weird if i just walk back behind the counter and start getting food so i wear the wear the sweater when i go in i was like that's pretty smart uh how many how many did you have how many did you end up owning five five i feel like we could do a whole podcast on that that's like so interesting to me what how did you so i mean you got into it with the lease but like how did you just you liked it and you kind of liked the business model and you just kept buying them or what you know, they often say, I, I listen to a lot of smart restaurant guys, and they often said, you know, it's about working smarter. At 21, I basically chose to work harder because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was uh, when I took over my first restaurant, it was doing $400,000 a year. You know, it was hemorrhaging money. And, you know, I slept on the back of the store on the floor and, you know, worked 120 hours a week. And, you know, lost 30 pounds in the first 30 days. It was kind of crazy. Wow. And, you know, sure enough, after a year, I think it was 18 months, I'd gotten the store up to 1.2 million. And, you know, I give Jimmy John's all of the credit. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. They provided that playbook, that recipe for success. And, you know, I my job was to execute. Why were you better at it than the guy who was owning it before you? Well, that's where I give Jimmy Johns the credit. I mean, he was not executing. I mean, w- the thing that you need to know about restaurants is it is a master class in execution. It's it's not necessarily about ideas. It's about delivering a great product consistently with a smile. It's about taking that 18-year-old kid that walks in your door and being able to train him and empower them to be you know, a, a, the president of their own, 
you know, million dollar sandwich shops. It's, hmm. it's about people. It's about execution. Wow. Well, that's inspiring. I've always, I've always found that franchise world interesting, but also like terrifying enough that I keep it at arm's length. Like I don't, I don't know if I'd go out and buy a McDonald's today. Do you recommend it? You know, it was great for my twenties. And I think, uh, you know, when I had unlimited energy and no kids, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that the thing that, first off, I love it. It's one of those few things that there's an energy and a teamwork about it. And like, you know, it's hard to put to words what it's like, but, you know, I loved all of that. I think that, you know, it depends on your personality. So the thing that made me successful in restaurants was that Jimmy John's provided me that playbook and it was all about execution. I tend to love the stuff that wasn't in the playbook. So 95% of all of the answers are in your playbook that they provide you. I loved the 5% that wasn't there. So, you know, that's ultimately why I got out was that it's, it was like, I wanted to go out and do the unknown and build the playbook. Right. So did you, I see you pivoted to tech at some point. Did you, where did you go after Jimmy John's? What was the next move? Yeah, I went to grad school. Uh, Okay. And then I went, and that's what, after grad school, what brought me up to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, was um, taking a job, uh, product innovation for a medical device company. Okay. And yeah, then- what, was, what did you do there? Really, it was a lot of financial analysis, uh, analyzing markets, determining where you should put a product, why, what kind of expected returns you'd get, what those performance benchmarks would be, You know, what would the go-to-market strategy be? Um, all right. So, uh, you came to Pennsylvania and I see, you You know, I, I like that you kind of made this pivot to tech. I mean, what, what kind of brought you to tech? Like you went from restaurants to tech, like what was the, I mean, was that, did it happen at college? Did it happen? You said, I'm going to go to college to, to make this pivot. Like, how did you make that pivot, you know, to tech? So the, the, in grad school, the seed was planted. Um, you know, I was never the best at statistics, but, you know, found my way into like simulations and, and for all of us that are bad at statistics, you can just run a simulation and get an answer. And like, I loved that. Like, I thought it was incredible what you could do with it. And so I honestly started taking online classes. Um, I think Wharton did an analytics certificate I went to, and then I uh, uh, took basically an online programming class. And it was just, you know, it was like, it was written in a way that my mind functions and it just matched perfectly. And I loved everything about it. Um, and it was that kind of aha moment where it was having spent a decade running businesses and like, you know, managing Excel spreadsheets and, you know, all of a sudden the veil was lifted and it was like, you could do whatever. And it was, how, how did I not have any of this? How did, how is it that I'm out here running my business. There's all these smart tech programmers out there and nobody has done anything that would have really impacted my life. Right. And, and so that's really how this all got started. Um, was, all right. So then you did consulting on the side after you were director of a couple things up here in Philly, right? Do you, yeah. yeah. Tell, me, tell me about your consulting gig. Cause as we talked about a little bit too, I'm a uh, self-proclaimed consulting evangelist. Tell me about, how that worked. Um, and I saw you did that at a, at a firm, right? You were doing it at a consulting firm. Yeah. I started the consulting firm. Oh, well then, all right. That's all right. Then 
then you were like, okay. So you were a pure consultant. I thought you did that at somewhere else, which I wasn't sure how that would work. But tell me about that. I mean, it was the excitement of like, you found all these new tools. And the thesis of it was really the big guys have all of this technology that, you know, makes them more competitive. But there are tools out there readily available that small businesses could use, you know, almost like open source tools that would make a difference in their life. How do we utilize that technology and apply it to these small businesses so that they can be competitive in the modern economy? And is that, I mean, that feels like you could finish that sentence by saying, and that's how I came up with ClearCogs. Is that, is that kind of the, the, the transition into making that? And that's how I came up with it. There Clear- it is. Thank no. you. I appreciate that. No, no, no. no it, it actually was a little more than that. So, you know, you would understand this coming from the consulting world. As much as I loved trying to implement this technology into small businesses, you're spending a whole lot more of your time sourcing new customers, your growth is either predicated on you working more, you bringing on more people. Um, And while I loved the projects and the interesting topics, um, I, it reminded me a little bit of the restaurant thing where, you know, you're, uh, it was going to be managing a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to create custom projects for everybody. And so like, ultimately I started thinking about like how this would be useful in my previous life. And, the revelation I kind of came to was franchises are a perfect client for selling something to their data is all in the same order and their, you know, uh, operations are all the same. So if you build it for one franchisee, it scales to all franchisees. And, you know, I, I wish that it could say it was this aha moment. I wrote the code, you know, over 36 hours, you know, and didn't sleep and it was bang done. But that was really just the start of the journey. Um, Man, talk about like kind of the perfect storm, though. I mean, that's I, I, I that's exactly why I tell people. I, do, I talk sometimes with the tech elevator folks, which are like I don't know if you know tech elevator. They're an awesome, um, like boot camp for for programmers. But they literally, I talk to people who are like, I worked in the restaurant industry for like fifteen years, and like now I went to this boot camp and I know program. And I'm always like, for the love of God, please go consult somewhere because the the meshing of those skills um, allows you to create stuff that like nobody else can do, right? Jay, the next time you run into one of those ex-restaurant people that has learned how to program, please send them my way. I will definitely – I actually have a couple of my – in my uh, – I was going to say my Rolodex. It's like, like 1980s. It's like not my role. I have them on LinkedIn. I'll send them to you. But I, I think that it really gets the heart of – you know, in restaurants, it's about execution. And it's about practical thinking. And it's so hard to find people that can do programming and think logically about the end result and what they're trying to achieve. And I, right. I do think that restaurants – do a great job of that and, you know, really teamwork and collaboration. So um, who was your first customer? And you don't have to name names, but how, you know, how did you get them? I am happy to name names. My <laughs> first customer was my cousin, Patrick Wampler. Oh, beautiful. See, there's always something in the family or friends network that seems oh. to be the first customer. But, you know, it was really simple. Like, and the, this is part of that journey. The first call I made was to my cousin. He's got six Jimmy Johns out in Illinois. And I said, hey, what are you doing for, you know, analytics, dashboards, you know, data? What are you using? And he's like, oh, my gosh, Matt, I use your Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, you mean the one I 
from 2012? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, you know, we love it. In fact, I give it to all the franchisees because they all love it too. And it's like, okay, that's wow. really interesting. Wow. And what did you do with that uh, information? Well, it was kind of the first check mark of there might be something here. And really, we spent a year of just, I, I think that me and my co-founder, Osa, who's the true tech guy who's built all of this, it was just, you know, every couple of months checking another box until the point where we're like, all right, I guess we got to start a company. Um, wow. And was was did you implement it with your cousin's Jimmy John's franchises first? We did. Wow. And how did that rollout work? Did was it kind of like a feedback loop that was pretty tight that you were kind of getting constant, you know, input on the on the on the actual usage of it since you knew him so well? One of the nice things about rolling out your first MVP to your cousin is we totally screwed it up. So like <laughs> their first rollout was just awful and nothing made sense. And like, you know, you look back on things and, you know, we basically went live with our MVP and it's all predictive forecasting. It never occurred to us that, you know, we could have actually just cut a two months of data off and simulated how well it would work. Right. We do that with every customer now, but it was kind of a, a shocking thing back then. Like, how did that not occur to us? But um, no, when we did the actual rollout in late August of 2021, um, it went really well, actually. And within eight weeks, we'd cut their bread waste by 54%, saving them something like $100 a week um, per location. And so, you know, 600 bucks a week, that that adds up pretty good. And you know, like I said, checking the boxes, like, okay, so the thing works. We went and talked to some more restaurants and they all had the problem. We're like, all right, there's a market for it. Like, I guess we got to go out and start a company. So what's your role in, in you know, since you've kind of got the, the ball rolling, you mentioned you have a co-founder more technical. What is your, what have you found you're really good at or that you need to be doing for the business? And are those the same thing? No, they're not. <laughs> so so it's, it's really interesting. I, I get this question a lot. And it's almost what is your role within the company day to day and what is your function within the company? So I attribute a great deal of our success to the relationship I have with my co-founder and the, you know, how we work together. And it's not so much role based as it is. He's the yang to my yang. I come up with 10 ideas every day. Mm hmm. He tells me eight of them are awful and he tells me one of them's not bad. And he's like, one of them's interesting. And, and, you know, I, my contribution outside of bringing the lens of the restaurant operation side of things is really coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the day to day, I mean, I act on the sales marketing side. I act on the, you know, partnerships, talking to the restaurants more of the customer facing and he handles more of the back end technology product side of things. But I would say we very much overlap. He's probably the most sales oriented, you know, uh, technical guy you've ever met. And I'm probably the most product oriented, uh, you know, customer facing person. Um, what were, what were some of the things that, that held you back initially from kind of, You've mentioned some of the things you were checking the boxes off of. Um, what were some of the things that were holding you back initially? 
from formalizing it into a business? That's a really good question. I and I I don't think anybody has ever asked me that. And and I'm I'm thinking real quick. Um, you know, having run restaurants, like it may not seem like a big deal to run out of bread or run out of lettuce or to, you know, waste extra product or to get something wrong. But I had lived this for so long that like these were real to me. When you run out of bread, you know, you've got to turn off your online order and your phone's ringing off the hook with angry customers. People are knocking on the door. You know, there's a corporate guy calling you, yelling at you for, you know, running out. Like these are really big things. And so I'd say one of the things that, you know, I struggled with was perfectionism. Like I didn't want to put something in the hands of somebody knowing that it might fail them because not because of, you know, the company, but because I'd been there and I just would never want to do that to somebody. Thank goodness my co-founders a little bit more on the like, hey, if you wait till something's perfect, you know, you waited too late to, you know, launch your MVP. Right. Get it out there. That's a great answer. Uh, Perfectionism is one that I've heard before. Um, If you were going to go spin this business up again today, kind of learning all those lessons, um, what would be step one? What would you go do if you're going to go start a new clear cogs tomorrow? Well, if we were to start the same company over again, and I was to repeat the same process, I would have gone against the perfectionism and would have pushed things out even quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, we often, or at least I often wanted to answer every question, every hypothetical, how's it going to do this? And, you know, this is my first time really running a startup. You know, the biggest takeaway I've learned is get things out and find out what people actually want. Don't make assumptions, spend more time on the feedback loops and the communication than trying to solve the problem you know, preemptively. Right. I don't remember where, maybe it was the Scrum Alliance training or something. Somebody said, you can never, you can prove something won't work before it's in their customer's hands, but you can't prove it does work until it's in their hands, right? So like, I've always kind of lived by that a little bit, like get it out, get it in there and like iterate, right? Well, and like, Again, coming from the restaurant industry where it's all about execution, flawless execution, consistent. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I grew up on books like, you know, good is the enemy of great. You know, it's a very fundamentally different thought process. This is a question I'm interested about with you since you're Mr. Uh, Restaurant. Um, What are three things that you're doing to keep yourself healthy? You know, not just healthy. uh, One of my my friend said a while back on the podcast, uh, he's working his longevity, right? And it's like, I'm 37. So like, I'm not old yet. I mean, tell that to 20 year old me, but like, I'm not, you know, but you start to think about how do I make myself at my, my peak for as long as possible? What are you doing, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is to kind of keep yourself, you know, uh, your longevity up as long as possible. Yeah. I, I try and do three things. So I try and work out in the mornings. I'm not the best at it, but I try and do something. Um, I try and have dinner with the family every night. So I cook. So like, 
you know, getting off calls at 4.30 and going and making dinner and sitting down with the family, I think is great for the family and mental health. And then I'm always working on a project. So uh, my bookshelf behind me, this is half built. And uh, my wife reminds me every time she walks by that like, hey, you're going to finish the bookshelf. But, uh, you know, I, I like to always have some project that is non-work related that I can have as an outlet. So funny you said that. I knew you built that. Like I knew I, for some reason I was like, this is the type of guy that would build his own bookshelf. And that's probably his bookshelf in the back that he's built. That that is my bookshelf as as if I wasn't taking on enough at the moment. I have this I have a similar problem. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, right? Like we just it's kind of like you your brain's a million miles an hour. Um is your and does your wife kind of uh does she does she do some of the family side of things to kind of free you up to do the the crazy stuff that you want to do all the time? You know what? My wife works full time and she's probably the breadwinner of the family right now. So, uh, you know, uh, she's got a lot on her plate and I should probably be doing more to help her. But yes, she, she does take on <laughs> a front of a lot of it. Long, long story short. Yes. Uh, well, let me ask you this, you know, yeah. you do a lot of projects, you know, it sounds like it's a, a, a way to you know, burn off energy or, you know, as an outlet, do you find that you get, a lot of your creativity or answers during those times? Or do you find that that's when your mind shuts down and it's just a time to recharge? It's a great question. You should have your own podcast. Um, it's certainly, I guess it depends on the hobby. Um, but the answer is typically the former. And I think I've heard that a lot where, Something you're like for I do astrophotography, right? And like I take pictures of space and then like you sit down and process them. And it's a very, you know, sometimes tedious, long process. But like you said, during that process, you kind of – it's weird. Like you kind of space out while you're doing something that but you need to actually be paying attention to whether it's, you know uh, – now, I will say that uh, flying, which I've been getting my pilot's license – that is not something you necessarily want to space out and think about other things with. Um, but yes, to answer your question, now the same question to you is that is that kind of your your creative juices get flowing during those times? One hundred percent. And you know, I, I think uh, I think it was a podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about um, the feeling you get when you play music, and it's mm-hmm. like you know, if you're playing the piano and singing that. It takes so much of your mental energy to do all of those things at once that you get this feeling of bliss because your mind's unable to race. And I think that there's like a version of that where you're just, you know, backed off enough that right. you're able to formulate singular thoughts and, you know, your mind's able to wander in one direction. Yes, I agree. I think that's a great point. Um all right, so mystery question time. Um, I say this on every podcast too because eventually somebody's going to listen to the previous podcast and hear that the mystery question is the same every single episode. So here it is. Uh, and somebody's going to come prepared. I'm going to have to like have one ready for it. So um, I assure you, I'm not prepared. I well, I'm glad. Thank you because I, I I can tell. I'm going to be able to tell. It's the very. It depends on how quickly you answer this. I'll know whether you're prepared or not. Um, Fine. If you knew. You couldn't fail. If you could do anything in the world and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? Exactly what I'm doing. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, thanks, guys. See you next week. Uh, that was that's a good answer. Um, 
if you knew you couldn't fail. So um, is that coming from the confidence you have? Is it just because from how much you love doing it? What what leads you to that answer? One of my best and worst qualities is the fact that I tend to be an unstoppable force. I tend to want to go do something and like get possessed by it. And it's hard to stop me. I give my co-founder again a lot of credit because he's done a very good job of stopping me with uh, some things. But like, you know, I'm doing what I want to do because I believe in it and I want to do it, right? Like I, I went into restaurants for the same thing. I wanted to do it. I didn't want to work at a cubicle, you know, and go do investment banking. Like I've always kind of and done what I wanted to do, what I've been passionate about doing. And I would attribute any success in my life to the fact that when you're passionate about what you're doing, you care about what you're doing, you do a better job. And so um, I've had one job in my life that I took for money for, you know, it was the right thing to do. And I hated every second of it. Um, Outside of that, I've kind of just lived my life to the, um, to my wife's displeasure moments. Sometimes, right? Uh, it's only a moment. That's good. It's been a while hey, for me. <laughs> when we got engaged, I was working 100 hours a week in a failing sandwich shop. So well, she knew what she was signing Things up are for. looking up, man. Things are looking up then, I think. Um, well, very cool. Dude, let's let's end it there. Uh, you're an awesome guest. You're an awesome guy. Uh, I think we need to hang out and uh, maybe we'll, we'll – uh, We'll build a bookshelf together or something, or we'll do something. And uh, it was great to meet you, man. I really appreciate being on. Jay, I appreciate what for what you're doing for the Philadelphia community. Appreciate you doing the podcast, and thank you for having me on. You got it, brother. And uh, where can we find uh, ClearCogs or more information about you if people want to find it? ClearCogs.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, all their social media, and you know, feel free to send me an email. My email address is matt at ClearCogs.com. Boom. I'll uh, include it in the show notes and people will reach out. Dude, it's great to meet you and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Thanks, Zach. Take care. See you later.